Welcome to the Dynasty Nerds Fantasy Football Podcast, where we discuss dynasty strategy, rankings, and all things NFL. So get ready to geek out on fantasy football with your host, Rich Dotson. And welcome to the Dynasty Nerds Fantasy Football Podcast. I am your host, Rich Dotson, here with my fellow nerds, Matt O'Hara. Hey, hey. And Garrett Price. How's it going? Going pretty swell, guys, because this is, after this week's shows, uh, Matt and I are going on vacation to the Outer Ooh. Banks. Going to go get yes. on our bronze skin tans, if you know what I mean. Speedo time, Matt. Speedo time. Yes, sir. Got to get those thighs nice and tan. <laughs> <laughs> so Matt and I are going on vacation, which means we'll record next week's show uh, on Thursday night here. So I'll be putting a tweet out uh, by the time you're listening to this today on the Dynasty Nerds account. And on my account for questions. So next week's shows will be uh, questions based and we'll just take your fancy questions and uh, we'll answer all those because we'll be in Outer Banks when you're listening to it on vacation. So I'm excited. I'm really excited. I cannot wait personally. I need to get the heck out of here. I'm sick of staring at these four walls. I've been been working on my base tan and outside, you know, just trying to really get some of my skin bronze. So I'm yeah. I feel really good about my modeling career after this vacation. Like really good about it. You're gonna look. You're gonna look pretty good, Rich. You're Thanks. Look pretty good. Oh, <laughs> dude, I needed that. Garrett, your thoughts? Hey, A plus, man. A plus. Oh, there it is. Now I'm now I'm feeling really good in going in this vacation. So today we're talking third year breakout players. That's right. We're gonna be talking about dynasty players entering the third year of their contract. And that players that we think could take a big step forward for their dynasty overall production and value. As we all know in fantasy football, or if you don't know, the third year is always the biggest year for a player to take a big step forward. It's probably the most average. Like if you did an average out of years of success, it's the third year that sees the most. I mean, obviously you have the guys that are outliers that produce year one, let, you know, get guys to take up. You know, year two, and of course, you get those other guys who are the fourth year breakout players. But today, we're going to talk about a couple of players that we think are third year breakout players. We also have some news. We have a big giveaway today to give away. We're going to do that on the Nerd Herd episode, though. So you got to be a Nerd Herd member for this. But we are giving away a spot to play in the Scott Fishbowl 10. SFBX. That's right. It's your opportunity to play in a 1,200 man league against the best of the best. All the fantasy analysts out there today, the league is co- consisted of two thirds of fantasy analysts, and the other third is fans. So you could play against the best of the best in the business: Matthew Berry's, Jamie Eisenberg's, Rich Dotson's. I mean, come on! This is your opportunity to play the elite of the elite out there, and it all goes to a good cause. You know, Scott Fish runs Fantasy Cares. .net. I encourage everybody, um, especially now, to go out there and get on fantasycares.net, make a donation. It all goes to the kids. He helps out kids around Christmas time, buys them tons of toys. It's a great, great cause. You know, even if you just can give a dollar, five bucks, if you can get on rotoware.com, they have a whole bunch of Scott Fishbowl t shirts. That money goes to a good cause. This year's t shirts are really, really awesome. If you follow Scott on Twitter, you see every time around Christmas how him and some other guys go out and they just load up at Target and Walmart toys for kids. So if you just want to do something good and show how strong this fancy community is, donate to fancycares.net. But we'll be having some information on that in the Nerd Herd episode. So even if you want to sign up for the month just to figure out how you can win that, it literally is probably the biggest fancy contest of the year. I mean, if you win the Scott Fishbowl, you're talking about notoriety for the le- rest of your life. And our friend Stompy, FF Stompy, won last year. and really happy for him. Two there. years ago. Two years ago? Oh, sorry. It was two years ago. You're right. It and it was ago, uh, yeah. uh, Haddock or somebody won last year. I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, somebody um, from Fighting Chance, I think, won it. Well, this year, it's probably not going to be me. But... You know, a twelve hundred <laughs> players, I could at least come top eleven ninety nine. Hopefully, I think you have a good shot at it. Oh well, yeah, fingers are crossed. I got a really good strategy this year. So crazy rules, crazy contest, um, and we'll have a giveaway a spot into that league in the next show. Before we get into today's show, let me give one quick word from our sponsor, and that's DynastyOwner.com. That's right, DynastyOwner.com. They're back again. It's a website we all know that gives you the opportunity to play GM, coach and fancy owner 
at the same time. This is a game that's different than all the other dynasty games out there. It lets you build a team using an NFL salary cap with actual NFL salaries. As the contracts change, your roster changes. This is a great new way to play dynasty and they're building it so that you can play, you know, in other ways too. They they really want to make this a unique experience where you're making an, an investment on a team and you can win weekly prizes. You can win cash prizes, you can win the end of the year prizes like the chase for the ring. They have a big award there, in-season prizes, ways to just go ahead and like bet versus your other teams, you know, and who you think should do better inside your league. Dynasty owner allows it. They have rookie drafts, just like your regular rookie draft. They also have a really cool mock draft machine to let you mock draft and get ready for the game as well on dynastyowner.com. So make sure you check them out. The mock drafts are open. The app is available on iOS and Android. You can learn more and mock draft for free at dynastyowner.com. I play it. Matt plays it. Check them out. Dynastyowner.com. It's a new way to play dynasty fantasy football. So, guys, let's get in some of these third-year breakout players. This is always a good time to buy. These guys, I think everybody we're about to name on this list is is a pretty good buy. And this is where you're paying. The cost is not high for the most part. I've acquired some of these players with real good upside to give you that boost. This is always a nice time to play. Just like at the end of somebody's rookie year is a good time to buy a player, going into the third year, especially at the tight end position, is a really good time to buy. So let's kick it off with one of my top buys as a third-year breakout player, and that's going to be Sony Michelle, running back New England Patriots. And yes, I know he only averaged 3.7 yards per carry last year, and he wasn't really overly explosive. But we have to remember that he did have his knee scope prior to the season, and it took him a little bit of time to come back from that because we saw the previous year what he could do in that offense. I mean, his rookie year, he rushed for 931 yards and had six touchdowns on 209 carries, and he went crazy during the playoffs where he had 336 yards and 71 carries and found that uh, I think he scored, what, six touchdowns, I think, that uh, in that offense in that postseason that year. A monster playoff see- series comes back, hurts his knee, gets a scope, starts off really slow. But not only on top of that, they have his knee scope to start off slow. Last year, their center, David Andrews, who's one of the best run block and tight centers in the league, missed a year with blood clots. And Isaiah Wynn missed half the year with a foot injury. So, Sony Michelle started a year off not too great. But when you go from week 11 on, and where he started playing the Cowboys, he averaged over four yards per carry in six of the next seven games, and that's in the playoffs as well. And this is also the same time that Isaiah Wynn came back. He led the team in rushing attempts. He led the team in rushing yards. He led the team in total offensive touchdowns. He hasn't missed any time due to injury at all, and he was only on an injury report just one time. So even though he had a knee scope, he played through it, and he, 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 was, he was on the field every single week. Somebody you can count on. That's just valuable alone. What hurts him is, is just his... his he went from Georgia being able to catch the football to be non-existent in the passing game for New England, where he just caught, I think it was just 12 of his 443 offensive snaps, which is right around a little over 2.5%, where he was spread out wide or he was even in a slot. So he's somebody that's mostly be the ground and pound game, which we have to expect a big year of ground and pound with Jarrett Stidham in at quarterback and them starting to fresh with not a lot of offensive weapons. I mean, he had 54% of the team's carries in all the games that he played. So he is a true, you know, round and pound running back on here. If he can get involved at all in the passing game, you're talking about a big boost for him. And right now he's got James White, who's on the last year of his contract, Rex Burkhead, who's not relevant, and Damian Harris. Those are the people he's got to compete against. So I look for, with Jared Stidham being here with Tom Brady gone, this would be a really solid run team. And what's even more so is when they get in the red zone, instead of having Brady, who loved to throw the ball in the red zone, you'd expect them to give Sony Michelle some more attempts and maybe show some of that nice inside run with Andrews there to score some more touchdowns. I think Sony Michelle could rebound and be a solid running back two here just on the amount of carries he gets alone. I think usage here is the key. Is this shelf life long? No, but anytime you have a chance to acquire a running back two from any team at all, that's something you should always be jumping on. So if you need a running back two or if you just need a running back three, this is somebody who's on the field week in, week out that I think will take a big step forward now that he's a completely a year removed from that knee scope. Then maybe he gets another knee scope and this, this all goes back to schmuck, but 
Let's hope he doesn't. Let's hope he's finally healthy. And we can finally see a healthy Sony Michelle, who is my number two running back coming out of college. Take a big step forward for the New England Patriots. Are you guys okay with the Sony Michelle trade? Well, uh, I mean, I think the big thing that you said there, obviously, um, you know, he's not going to be catching many passes. Uh, I'm looking at the targets here, and, and he only had 20 targets, which was it was ranked like 60th or something out, out of the running back. So, but um, on the flip side of it, on the flip side of that coin is is the red zone touches. So he's, he ranks number he ranks 10th in in red zone attempts with 45. And like you said, with Brady out and 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 you know Stidham in I think I think they're going to be rushing the ball a lot more like you said in the red zone so I would expect that number to creep up a little bit and and you know I mean this is this is the same offense and the same team that that had LeGarrette Blunt. I think he had like 18 touchdowns or something like that just a few years back before um Sony Michelle was drafted so you know they they like to pound it if they get the right kind of guy and they like to give mm-hmm. attempts to the running backs down there in the red zone so I think that's where he could pick up the slack and and that's where he's gonna have to pick up the slack really um if he's gonna if he's gonna crack those running back two numbers or or you know like middle end running back two or, or high end running back two numbers yeah I'm with you uh last year he had 247 rushing attempts which is a really really good number so let's say that he gets the same type of volume we i still don't expect him to be involved heavily in the passing game but let's just say he gets around the same number so we won't even say that he gets more rushes because of sitting we'll say same number but if he can get back to the yards per carry that he was averaging as a rookie so if he can get anywhere close to back to that point he's looking at 1100 uh a little over 1100 yards which is, which is a really good number uh, for a running back. And, and he only had seven touchdowns last year. Uh, it would not be surprising to see you know maybe a, a tad creep up in that. Uh, I, I'm guessing they're in less touchdown opportunities than they were last year, so I think that'll kind of balance it out. But you know even with just seven or eight rushing touchdowns, uh, if he can get around that 1,100 yards, all of a sudden he's a much more viable mid-range RB2. So we're not saying that he is the most gifted, talented player at this point with what's going on with his knees and all that kind of stuff. But what we are saying is there's a young player with the opportunity to bounce back and just on pure volume alone makes him very interesting. And a guy that you can be had, I acquired him a couple leagues for a second round pick, a 2022nd. I got him for 2-4 and I got him for 2-8 is who I, what I got him for in two different leagues. So I think a mid-range Second round pick, if you haven't had your draft yet, can get it done. Uh, or even, I mean, at this point, even maybe a 2021 second can possibly get it done. I, I try and be creative, and I'd definitely be out there trying to acquire Sonny Michelle on my roster because you never have enough running back depth ever. It's just one. No, thing. absolutely not. The you second you think you, the second you think you have enough is is when the bottom drops out and and you end up with just one guy and you're trying to scrape your way through bye weeks and and filling in waiver wire turds into your into your lineup. So yeah, I mean, what if you had you had Derrick Henry last year and Josh Jacobs and you go into your championship game and you're helpless because they're both met, they're both gone because they're hurt at the end of the year. You just need that depth. And with Sony Michelle being out there every single week, that's just that alone can help you win a championship. Just having an able, when we get to week 16, you know, pretty soon, starting next year, week 17, when they add an extra game, just having a healthy body at running back could be enough to get you over the top. So big Sony fan, Matt, why don't you give us a third year of breakout player that you're a fan of? All right. So I'm going to go on um, to James Washington, wide receiver of the Pittsburgh Steelers, five foot 11, 213 pounds is what he's listed at, but um, I did read a nice little article that says he's been working out on his farm down there in, in Texas, and, he, and he's down to about 205. I feel like this is kind of like every single offseason. I'm reading something about James Washington dropping weight, so I don't know if there's like an actual weight issue there. Or, Much more or, to drop. <laughs> or what, but, um, uh, you know, this is a guy that um, I think a lot of people are kind of writing off at this point, but – there's a lot of weird circumstances surrounding the whole Pittsburgh Steelers offense as a whole last year. I mean, obviously, you start right at the top with Ben Roethlisberger going down, you know, like six quarters into the into the season, and and you know they're ping ponging between Mason Rudolph and Dev- Devlin Hodges for the rest of the season, basically. 
And and you you throw on top of it that Juju Smith Schuster wasn't right all year, and guys were kind of just thrust into weird situations. I think kind of all across the board. Um, and then if you even add on top of that the fact that the wide receiver coach passed away last year during training camp, and and it's really a recipe for disaster across the board for these wide receivers. And with all that being said. I didn't realize myself and, you know, obviously, you know, we break down this stuff all the time. I own James Washington in a couple of leagues. I didn't realize myself that James Washington actually led the Steelers in receiving yards last year with 735. So it's, you know, you dig into the stats a little bit and this is a guy that not only led the team in, you know, regular yards and everything, but he also led the team in deep targets and deep yards, um, like 20 plus yard uh, passes caught. So, so he, he had 26 targets of, of over 20 yards for a total of 335 yards and two touchdowns, which, you know, the only, the only guy that was close, you know, to him or like the second place guy that was, you know, closest to him was Deontay Johnson. He only had 14 targets for 161 yards and three touchdowns. So what, I, what, what, what point I'm kind of trying to get to is, Devlin Hodges and Mason Rudolph, they're not the the deep ball thrower that Ben Roethlisberger is. So um, it's going to be one of those things where once Ben Roethlisberger gets back into the lineup, it's going to highlight James Washington's strengths even more. He is a deep threat. He's the guy that gets downfield. Uh, He's shown that in college. He's shown it in the pros. And I think that... You know, now that Ben Roethlisberger is back, he's healthy. It's going to be just a a nice little boost here for James Washington. Obviously, Juju Smith-Schuster is going to be also healthy this year, and Deontay Johnson is going to be vying for targets. But at this point, James Washington, I think, is he's become more of like the forgotten man. So I I want people to realize that this is a third year player, and he is he's definitely he's definitely worthy of, of or on the verge, in my opinion, of a breakout. What do you think about him versus Deontay Johnson, Matt? Well, that I mean, you know, obviously I think they do different things. And, and that's and that's Ben Roethlisberger's, you know, like I said, he's good downfield, much better deep ball thrower than, than Mason Rudolph and Devlin Hodges. And, and James Washington is a much better deep threat than Deontay, Deontay Johnson, who only averaged – 11 point um like 11 and a half yards basically per reception uh whereas whereas James Washington he was up in the 16.7 yards per per attempt all right yeah I like I like James Washington uh with Deontay Johnson everybody else is picking Deontay Johnson to be that breakout player but I think James Washington's still a great buy I think the addition of Chase Claypool has depreciated his value as well and kind of moved James Washington almost to that the fourth slot. He's like that forgotten guy at this point in the league. I, I'm in a startup. And I just got a James Washington in like the 17th round, which was crazy. I couldn't believe he was there. So Garrett, what do you think of James Washington quick before we get to your third guy, your second, your guy? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm on board with James Washington as well. And you're absolutely right. Uh, Deontay Johnson is the very hyped, very expensive player. And, you know, I, I understand why, but I think James Washington has a similar ability to break out at like a third of the cost of Deontay Johnson. I mean, I'm seeing people trading first the way to get Deontay Johnson where they're trading thirds for for James Washington. So uh, you, you can't argue with the price and the upsides there. Always like to find a good value. Always like to find good value. And that's what James Washington is in Dynasty Fantasy Football right now. One more thing before we move, more, one more thing before we move on from James Washington. So, Ben Roethlisberger last year only attempted 10 deep passes before he went down with injury, and there was only one completion. It was a James Washington down the sidelines, a nice 56-yard reception. Um, so, or it, I'm sorry, it was a, it was just down the sideline. It wasn't a 56-yard touchdown, but it was a, um, it was it was a nice play. It was a, it was a deep it was a deep pass. So that was the one one completion that that Ben Roethlisberger had last year on a 20-plus yard um, well, a pass attempt. Maybe this year with that broken elbow, we could have two 50-yard completions. You yeah. never know. <laughs> Garrett, give us one of your guys that you think is going to take a big step forward in his third year in the NFL. Well, Rich, we, we talked about this guy quite a bit and uh, during the, the regular season last year. and This was a guy that, that we disagreed on, and uh, you know he's, he's, uh, he's in a very 
injury prone player. Don't don't tell him I said that because he wouldn't appreciate it because he doesn't agree. But uh, I'm I'm still I'm still willing to buy Darius Geis. Now, obviously, the cost has come way down, and that's why I'm still willing to buy. I'm not willing to pay what he would have cost as a rookie. I'm not willing to pay what he would have been last year. But right now, he's really being taken right around the. 30th running back or so in that range. So, I mean, you're getting almost all of the starters out ahead of him. In a recent startup that I just did, uh, here were the guys that uh, he was running back 29 off the board. Uh, in the ninth round, you were able to get Darius Guy. So, it wasn't to my team. Uh, but here are the other guys around him uh, Raheem Mostert, uh, Jordan Howard, uh, Mark Ingram, and David Johnson. Now, nothing wrong with any of those players. All could probably yeah, have good guys. seasons. This year, uh, but but the problem is none of those guys are young and none of those guys have uh, the upside. I think Mostert's 27, 28, Ingram's 30, David Johnson looks like he's 45. Um, you know, so when you have the when you're doing your startup for me, the first four rounds, five rounds, maybe even you know, let's get crazy and say six, I'm playing it very, very safe. But later on in the drafts, when I'm in round 9, 10, 11, 12, I'm willing to take a, a, a flyer on a guy with some real upside. And for me, Darius Geis is that type of player. Uh, he was never injured in college. He was never injured uh, in high school. It really wasn't until he got to the NFL. Uh, Rich, I know you love talking about you know Frank Gore, first two seasons, ACLs, and then he became one of the all-time leading rushers. I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen to Geis, but I think you know this is obviously a make-or-break year, but he could be the type that could be a league winner if you're drafting him as your freaking third, fourth running back, uh, and, and and he could you know pan out as a, as a RB2 for you. Listen, Darius Geis is no Jarek McKinnon, so I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a big negative right off the top, Garrett. And here's my biggest concern about Geis is I've always thought – Geis is a very solid running back, a nice ground and pound in between the tackles running back who offers very little in the passing game. And that's okay, too, because you got you got running backs out there like Nick Chubb. You got Derrick Henry out there that aren't bringing a lot to the passing game as well. They're still solid running backs that you want to take pretty high in your dynasty leagues. But for me, Darius Geis, there's, there's a couple of things working against them besides the back-to-back knee injuries. And the biggest one is they just invested in Antonio Gibson. Uh, a pretty good draft pick there. And Ron Rivera, the new head coach, has been talking him up pretty significantly so far, which, you know, head coaches do that with their, with their uh, draft picks. But that's that's a big thing. Tony Gibson is Ron Rivera's draft pick, and Darius Geis is left over. And we see a lot of these guys, when you get coaching changes, just don't stick around because the coaches, the coaches want their guys. And with Geis – his contract coming up after next year, it's not like he's in position to, you know, you know, resign with the team even. And I don't even know if he's going to get enough carries. I think they're going to want to use Antonio Gibson as their pass catching dual threat running back. And if he shows anything at all in the running game, I think he's going to be the main fancy focus there for the Washington Redskins. And I think Darius Geis is going to be resorted to being the change of pace running back who still, which is not terrible getting anywhere from eight to 11 carries per game but offers no passing game uh, ability at all and is going to become very touchdown dependent on a team right now where the offense still needs some work that does not have a lot of weapons besides Terry McLaurin in the passing game with Kelvin Harmon, Antonio Gandy-Golden all being young, Steven Sims. So for me, I think Darius Geis' upside, I mean, of course, could he break out and be some solid, awesome running back? I mean, anything is possible. I just think the odds are so stacked up against it. It's hard for me to see Darius Geis being fantasy relevant. You know, I, I see him more as a running back three, even more so in PPR leagues, like a running back four potentially if he's not scoring touchdowns, which I don't know if he's going to be in position to do or many Redskins are going to be in position to do, honestly, this year in 2020. So, for his price tag, is he worth it? Sure, but I almost feel like the price tag, even now, like to get him, I mean, nobody's really selling him for a third, so you have to give up almost a second to get him. And with how deep this class is, I'd rather just take Antonio Gibson over Darius Geis without the knee injuries or a running back that does offer some upside in the passing game. So I'm currently still out on Darius Geis. What say you, Matt? I uh, a little bit like Garrett. I think I, this is one of those ones that's never going to die for me because I do love the way this guy runs the football. 
And, and when you, when I think back to it, the, I guess the simplest way for me to look at this one is if I go back and, and remember Darius Geis as a prospect coming out, would I have rated him higher than Antonio Gibson? And the answer for me is yes. Like, absolutely, I would. Obviously, we have a little bit more information, and there's a knee injury that's involved, but um, which makes it more complicated. But if, if Darius Geis is healthy, uh, which we don't have any reason to think that he's not, I guess, at this point. I guess we don't have any reason to think that he is either. But, you know, once news starts coming out about these training camps, uh, when, when all this offseason stuff actually gets started and we get a little bit better feel on this one, I, I will probably feel a little bit more comfortable um, putting my stamp on Darius Geis if he is, in fact, healthy because I think he's a much better running back. I do like Antonio Gibson, uh, but not as much as I like Darius Geis coming out. So this is one of those ones where I'm, I'm still a little hesitant just due to the history um, with the knee injury, but I love the prospect and I, and I love how he plays the game of football and I think – I think he, you know, Rich, you make a lot about the fact that he, you know, he, he didn't catch a lot of passes in, in college, but from all intents and purposes, you know, not a lot of the LSU running backs did before like Clyde Edwards Alaire, you know what I mean? So they had a lot of bigger backs that just weren't kind of used in that, in that fashion. So they kind of switched up the offense a little bit in these past couple seasons. So We've seen other guys come in. I mean, obviously, Leonard Fournette came in without catching a lot of passes in college, and now he's done a nice job in the NFL, especially this past season, of getting involved in the passing game. And And there's no reason and there was no indication from any of the coaches there um, prior that he can't catch the ball. Actually, there a lot of them were um, encouraged by what they saw. Unfortunately, the knee injuries derailed him, so we haven't had a chance to see it in the NFL. But, I, you know, I think he's a guy that can do it. Uh, oh, I'm this, just, he just needs an opportunity. But again, and that's where you said opportunity, opportunity. I just think with Antonio Gibson draft pick and where he was drafted, I just don't think the opportunity is going to be there. That's what it boils down to me. It's not even like – I don't even hate Darius Geis as a runner. I don't. It's just I don't think, you know, this coaching staff really is overly – like I don't think they really they're even think about like, oh, if he's healthy, he's healthy, we'll use him. But like I think their eyes are set on Antonio Gibson. I think Antonio Gibson's going to be the man there in Washington. Again, so see, we'll see I who's right. I don't think he's going to get enough carries. That's that's the thing is I I don't think they're going to use him, you know, for 15 carries a game. I think they're going to use him for, you know, six carries out of the backfield, then two direct snaps and then, you know, three catches in the receiving game. Like I think that's going to be more his lane. So I I still yeah, think see, that there's no, a role for a 15 carry guy there. I, th- I think it's going to be a 50-50 split. I don't think he's going to get eight carries. I don't think they draft him there to just get eight carries. I think he's going to get, you know, I think it's going to be close to a 50-50 split, kind of what we saw with out of Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman, where it was like, a, you know, a, you know a 50, literally a 50-50 split, and Philip Lindsay's the one that really did more with his opportunities. I kind of see it going you know, the same way there in Washington, unless one of those guys can literally take the lead and just be so good, you got to give him more carries. But I think to start off, I think we're going to, I think we're going to give Gibson an opportunity. So I think it's going to be more more 50-50 uh, than that. But we'll find out. We'll find out here soon enough. Like I said, today they announced that the Hall of Fame game is going on in August and fans are allowed to attend. So this is all good news with football oh, coming back crazy. here soon. So let's move on to my next guy, uh, guy on my list. Guys, this is somebody who I have not been talking a lot on the podcast. Uh, I've been trying to make some moves for him in a lot of leagues, so I haven't really said a lot about him. This is one of my absolute favorite dynasty buys right now. Everybody get a pen. Some paper, open up your notes on your phone, hit the record button on the podcast. My number one favorite trade target right now in Dynasty Fantasy Football is Hayden Hurst for the Atlanta Falcons. I love this move. The former first round pick at Hayden Hurst gets traded to Baltimore and they gave up a second round pick to give him. So they you don't see a lot of players getting traded in the NFL today for second round picks. I mean, that is a good haul for a player. So he goes to the Atlanta Falcons, and the Atlanta Falcons is just a mecca for the tight ends when it comes to fantasy production here. Austin Hooper, as we all know, has been around tight end six uh, over and over every single year in Atlanta because this is a team that manufactures touches for their tight end. I mean, Austin Hooper, through the first 10 games last week, last year, was tight end one overall. He was a number one tight end in fantasy last year because Dirk Cotter and the Atlanta Falcons manufacture touches for the tight end. They throw the ball a ton. Dirk Cotter's offense, historically, they throw the ball a ton. They average, he averages like 600-something uh, 
throws a year throughout his career. Last year, this team threw the football 684 times. Granted, they didn't have a running back, and their defense was really bad. But they still threw 684 times. On average, over the last three years, Dirk Cotter's offense has averaged 125 targets to the tight end position. Hayden Hurst has never seen over 39. The Falcons in 2018 had 106 targets go to the tight end. In 2019, they had 121 targets go to the tight end. And Hooper got hurt towards the end of the year. So with Calvin Ridley there, Julio Jones, they have Todd Gurley now who will also get some targets. You can see about a 20% target share, maybe a little under that, going to Hayden Hurst and seeing right around 105 to 120 targets for Hurst coming away with maybe like 80 catches for 800, 900 yards would put him in tight end number five overall category. Same thing we got out of Austin Hooper these last couple of years where we've seen him produce at tight end six kind of levels. I envision that for Hayden Hurst as well. That tight end position, it's a hard position to find this top six talent in to give you that edge over your opponents. You know, once you get past Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, and maybe Evan Ingram now with Jason Garrett, uh, at the helm there too, what he could do athletically. Hayden Hurts could come in right around tight end five. I mean, he's arguing with like a Darren Waller there for that position. So for me, I think Hayden Hurst right now is an absolutely tremendous buy in dynasty fantasy football. He's a borderline. He's borderline almost worth a late first to give up because if he could produce those numbers, he's worth it. It's just. I'm not there yet willing to pay it, though, but I'm definitely willing to give up a couple second-round picks, maybe a player in a second-round pick, even a really high second-round pick this year, like 2-1, 2-2, 2-3, if I need a tight end, if I need to fill that position. I think you can buy him as your number two tight end and get high-end, mid-range tight end win numbers out of him. I think this position matches this player, and the fact that they – Gave up that second round pick. Clearly says that he's in the plans to pick up right where Austin Hooper left off. So with how many times they target the tight end, you can get potentially tight end number three numbers out of a guy like Hayden Hurst for the Atlanta Falcons. Love it. Love it. Love yeah, it. Man, I'm uh, trying to buy him absolutely everywhere. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually I'm with you there. I'm, I, I, I really do like Hayden Hurst as a guy that can break out here. Um and when you dig into the numbers a little bit, I mean, this is a guy that was obviously he was only he was a tight end two there on the team. Mark Andrews was clearly the the, the top dog there. And when you see his his share, you know, his opportunity share basically of how, of how many snaps he was getting, he, he was 79th out, out of all the tight ends with only thirty nine point nine percent of the snap uh, percentage. But then you look at his production, and he's like 28th in receiving out of the tight ends. He's 35th in in total receptions with 30. And he's 11th in average target distance at 9.1. So this guy's making the most of his opportunities there in Baltimore. And but he was just buried. So if you if you extrapolate that, you you know, you, you look at Austin Hooper's numbers, for for example, because he's going to that team. Austin Hooper's he played 72, almost 73% of, of the um, snaps. Uh, on the field on, on all the offensive snaps so if you if you take um j- just hayden hurst's production and you match it up with with the percentage snaps that austin hoopers has you get some pretty nice numbers i mean it's 55 receptions for 637 yards and four touchdowns which if you if you put that into fantasy numbers is 140.4 uh, in PPR, which would have been tight end eleven, and those, in my opinion, are pretty conservative numbers, especially when you when you factor in um, the point where Matt Ryan loves to throw to the tight ends. It's I think it's seven of his twelve years he's had a he's had a seventy plus um, catch season out of his tight end. So I mean that's he loves to feed the tight end and and fifty five receptions, uh, you know, out of the extrapolated numbers out of Hayden Hurst's last year. Um, statistics i think that's i think that's shooting low um when when you look at this at the you know potential of a 70 plus um catch season that matt ryan just basically produces you know more than half the time so hayden hurst loved it loved his athleticism coming out obviously he's a guy that's a little bit older um you know for a third year guy he's almost he's almost 27 already but 
when you're talking tight ends, they, they take a few years anyway. So a lot of the times these guys are a little bit older to begin with. So it, yeah, it's George okay. Kittle's I mean, it, older. You know, Georgia Kittle's 26, about to be 27. So it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, for a tight end, you, you can get into it, it, It's not year, that big of a hindrance, 31. I guess, is my point. You yeah. can get the next sure. four years out of Hayden Hurst and, and, and feel pretty comfortable with that, I believe. Agreed. Garrett? Absolutely. Uh, this was one guy, you know, we, we were talking beforehand, what guys do we want to talk about? What guys do we want to do uh, for this? And uh, Hayden Hurst was on all three of our lists. So we're, we're all on board here. One of the things that sticks out to me, because, you know, I don't think that Hayden Hurst is this amazing, amazing player per se. I don't think he's like this elite athlete like, um, you know, George Kittle and, and Travis Kelsey and all of these guys. But and you guys have done a great job of highlighting, but the opportunity that he has, one of the biggest things is you look at the vacated target. So an average team uh, this offseason has around five to six vacated targets a game. And that's basically just based on uh, the target share that the players that left were getting. So they're averaging, you know, five or six is kind of average. Upper end uh, is, you know, nine, eleven. The highest, the team with the most vacated targets was the Atlanta Falcons at 16 vacated targets a game. So there is plenty of opportunity for him to come in. Now, I'm not saying he gets you know 16 targets a game. That would be better than you know the best wide receiver in football per se. But uh, you know there, there's definitely a chance for him to be targeted early and often in this offense. And even if he just has mediocre type uh, production. With that type of volume, he's still going to easily be a tight end one, and so I'm I'm definitely on board the Hayden Hurst train as well. It sounds I mean yeah. it sounds like there's going to be even enough for that um, the fourth year breakout Laquan Treadwell to get a little bit of action, right? Potentially, <laughs> maybe. maybe. You never know. Russell 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 Gages there too. Right that's a, that's a totally different show though. This is third year players. I didn't mean to uh, to get on my little rant about Laquan <laughs> Treadwell. Sorry. That was a very little rant. Here's Matt Frank. What about what about LaQuinn Treadwell? Rant over. <laughs> rant, rant over. <laughs> On to my next rant. Uh, <laughs> no, but my next player, though, for real, um, third-year player, is Mike Kosicki, um, another Ooh, another tight yeah. end. We're going from tight end to tight end here. Um, you know, this is one of the – this, you know, you're, you're talking how underwhelming or, or not underwhelming, but how Hayden Hurst's athleticism doesn't stand out. But this is a guy that's – 97th percentile spark athlete and his his actually does stand out um quite a bit but uh on a side note did you guys see the video of him lobbing the ball over his house and then him running through the house and catching it no, no but that's amazing you guys got to go check that out is it real life or is it like yeah yeah he, he he lobbed it over ran through the house and got it so yeah you guys wow. you guys should check out the video it's August, you know we're gonna pause the podcast right now to go look at this video. This was this, this was the same guy that was doing all the dunking stuff before the uh, before the draft. So he, he likes to do Uber his videos. athletic man. Yeah, Uber totally athletic. athletic. But uh, uh, back onto the numbers here. Um, you know, obviously last year, uh, you know, his rookie year, he started off really slow. He didn't get much production. I think it was like around 220 yards uh, receiving, but. Last year, uh, he started off slow again. You know, first 10 games, he had 28 receptions, 294 yards, no touchdowns. And then he really started kicking it into gear the last six of the last six games of the year where he had 23 receptions, 276 yards, and f- all five of his touchdowns. So, you know, the, the five touchdowns in that six-game span was second amongst tight ends only to Jared Cook. So he really turned it on late in the season. And, and this is a guy that you, you know he, he's got the opportunity. He's starting. He's starting to get the production as well. Um, his 570 total yards. Uh, you know, obviously, it's not going to blow your doors off. But I think the way he produced early on in the season compared to how he produced the last six games of the season at least shows me that he's trending in the right direction. And you combine that with the fact that you know you, you, know, you read interviews of this guy and he knows that he's just got to keep going he hasn't arrived just just because he had you know a a nice end of the season last year he's not complacent at all he's training extra hard and he knows that he still has to prove himself uh every single year every single game and that's exactly the kind of attitude that i love to hear about and and combine that with with the late year production and i love this guy to just kind of pick up right where he left off and obviously 
He's going to be breaking in a, a young quarterback as well with Tua eventually at some point next year. So, you know, you know, the tight ends are are really the best friends of a young quarterback uh, because they're always they're always available. And guys like this that can that can sky up and get balls and have such a huge catch radius are extra um, are extra nice blankies for those young quarterbacks. I agree, Matt. I'm a big Mike Kosicki fan as well. He's only 24 years old. You mentioned his second half surge of the season where he finishes tight end 12 overall. So he finishes a tight end one on the year in his second year with an almost zero contribution in the first half of the season. He was tight end number eight overall on the second half of the year. This is a Dolphins team that added almost no weapons whatsoever so ever in the offseason on offense and then when they did it was just jordan howard and trading for matt breda so the passing game it's still going to be preston williams and Devonte parker and mike isicki and mike isicki actually played a lot of snaps as a receiving tight end he played 222 snaps in the slot last year which th- was third amongst all tight ends in the league so that still like good, looks good for him to be a contributor there in a passing game to kind of hold over that tight end number eight overall, and hopefully Tua can step that up. The only concern I would have is he did see a big step up there right around the same time Preston Williams went down because when Preston Williams went down, before he went down, he was seeing about 4.4 targets per game, and then when Preston Williams went down, it went up to about 7.5 targets per game. He also averaged almost a full reception more after Preston Williams went down. But I do think Tua coming in with his accuracy and his mobility will open things up. And like you said, Matt, being that safety net for him over the middle, definitely out of the slot there. I mean, he's just a complete mismatch versus linebackers or safeties or even smaller cornerbacks, slot cornerbacks. So I think, and I like his progression as well. You know, every season so far has gotten a little bit better. Already in the second year, enter that tight end one category. It's, it's absolutely what you want to see as well. It's just this nice little, especially at a tight ends at this position. Um, it is almost an incremental thing for them because they're learning. I mean, they're basically learning all the wide receiver stuff and then all of the um, offensive line stuff. And that's that's most of the time. Let's face it, that's most of the time why it takes so long for these guys to develop because they're basically learning two positions because they have a lot. They have a lot on their plate. So you know, this is. This is definitely a nice little progression here, and I can see that that second half of this season or those last six games, and spe- specifically, kind of skyrocketing him this year. Garrett, do you like Mike Kosicki, or do you think he's Mike Kosicki? <laughs> no, I'm a fan of uh, of of Big Mike G. There, I uh, I'm I'm on board with you guys. I, I do understand what you were saying there, Rich, and that was going to be the one thing that I brought up too. Is you know it, it is interesting both Devonte Parker and um, Mike. Uh, Jacecki really got a big boost as soon as Preston Williams was gone. So it'll be interesting to see how the target share looks with all three of them there and all three of them healthy. Uh, but, you know, when you want to bank on a, a a tight end, give me the the young guy that is a freak athlete in an up-and-coming team. I mean, we saw the difference between the Miami Dolphins of the first half of the season, specifically those first three or four weeks there, they looked like one of the worst football teams of all time. I mean, they're getting blown out by 30, 40 some points each and every week. And, you know, we were we were saying the, you know, tank for Tua, which is kind of funny because Tua didn't go first, but Miami still got Tua. So kind of worked out <laughs> for them. Um, but, you know, that was that was what we were talking about at that point. But then towards the middle, and then specifically at the end of the season, they actually became a very good football team. They they added some pieces, um, and and they uh, some of those young guys really kind of started to come together. And then you know everything that they did in the draft and free agency and whatnot. I think they're actually a sneaky team to be decent and be relevant in these games. And so I, I think that they might actually keep Fitzpatrick in longer than other people do. I wouldn't be shocked to see him get at least half of the season, and depending on where they are at that point. But we know that that Fitzmagic is not afraid to target the tight end, and I think that will really help boost his production for this season. Yeah, and I said, I mean, I like the tight ends. The players that end the season strong, and that's what exactly what – Gasicki did you know between weeks 12 and 17 he was tight end number six overall and he only had over that whole span he had four less points than Travis Kelsey he had six less points than Zach Ertz and he had well then you know Jared Cook took a big step forward there and way behind Higby and Kittle but 
still, I mean, once you enter that tight end, I think it's safe to say we have a top-heavy third, you know, top three, four tight ends. But once you get to that five, four, five, six, seven tight end right around there, I mean, you're talking about somebody that could really help you win a championship, and that's what Mike Gesicki could potentially be here. So, big fan. Garrett, give us your last third-year breakout player. My last guy is a man by the name of Sam Darnold. Uh, Sam had a, uh, a rough start to the season. He, uh, he had an okay first game, but then came down with mono. Uh, and then two games later, uh, after coming back from mono, he had that uh, infamous game where he's out there seeing ghosts against the Patriots, and he threw zero touchdowns for 86 yards and four interceptions. Garrett, um, Garrett this is no laughing matter. Ghosts are scary. Okay. Ghosts are yes, very are. Buddy, Come on. <laughs> uh, the following week, he had another three interceptions. So, I mean, he started off the year really, really, really poorly. But similar to uh, Mike Jacecki that we just talked about, Sam Darnold finished the year extremely strong. In fact, from weeks 11 through 17, he was a top 10 fantasy quarterback. And we're talking a top 10 fantasy quarterback on a team that did not have a, a superb offensive line that had uh, old and, dare I say, washed up Le'Veon Bell. He's definitely not the running back that he used to be. And virtually no legitimate wide receiver options. Uh, they, you know, Chris Hurden was hurt and they're trying to figure out who's going to be the tight end. And Ryan Griffin kind of stepped up. And that whole thing is just a hot mess. So, And then on top of it, you have Adam Gase. So one of the two things are going to happen here. Either Gase gets this figured out and figures out how to turn this team around, or he's gone. But we saw at the very least that even in the worst of circumstances, with a bad coach, not a lot of weapons, not a good line, that he can legitimately be a top 10 quarterback. And so at this point, Sam Darnold's being drafted more like quarterback 16, 17, 18, more in that range. And he's actually younger than Joe Burrow. So I definitely think this is a guy worth investing in, specifically in your Superflex formats. I agree. I think he's tremendous value in Superflex. Came in the league at only 20 years old, so coming in at the age of 23 here for this year. And like you said, he did start to pick up a little bit down the, down the line there at the end of the year. Adam Gase could be someone of a hindrance, but like you said, if he doesn't step it up, he's going to be gone there. They're bringing Denzel Mims, who's a very, very good receiver prospect. It could be a good deep threat and really open up the fantasy production of Sam Darnold's game. And along with Brashad Perriman, those are two big-time, big-play receivers that can help out Sam Darnold a lot in the, in the air yards for a team that's probably going to be trailing a lot, along with Le'Veon Bell, who's a great pass catcher and running back. I think there's a lot of the like this year about Sam Darnold. And with how deep next year's wide receiver class is, you can expect the Jets to potentially even add another really good receiver in 2021 as well. I think Sam Darnold it falls in that category. What have you done for me lately kind of player? And since he hasn't been a, uh, a fancy gold mine yet, people are just go ahead and pass him up. But he's so young that you can draft him and still sit on him. And if you sit on for the next couple of years and you give him two more years to develop into a really good quarterback with Denzel Mims, he's still only 25 and gives you the potential to have at least another solid 10 years on top of that of QB production. I think Sam Darnold's a great investment for any dynasty team on upside alone. And in a one QB league, I mean, he costs pennies on the dollar. I, I mean, I agree that, that he's a good investment due to the fact that he's so young and he does have tools. Uh, but I, I, you know, you mentioned it's, it's a make or break for Adam Gase. I don't want to call it a total make or break year for Sam Darnold, but if, if he's still, you know, quote unquote, still seeing ghosts this year, it, it might be one of those things where he's broken and he just never stops seeing ghosts. And he's always seeing, I mean, you go back to his college tape and you see the same exact thing that you saw during that game when he said he's seeing ghosts. Anytime the guy gets pressure in his face, he craps himself and he has a hard time dealing with that. And he, he makes really bad decisions in those type of circumstances and throws into coverage and he just makes ill-advised throws and, and they cause turnovers or he it's just if he can't get over that one thing he'll be out of the league and that's the one thing I'm afraid of with Sam Darnold if he gets it figured out I think he's got all the tools to be a very successful quarterback in the NFL but it's just that one hump and 
I feel like we've seen this one hump bury other guys before. And, and I hope it doesn't happen to him. But, I mean, what happened to, like, Derek Carr? I mean, not Derek Carr, um, David Carr. Uh, I feel like very, you know, something his was related to getting hit so much because yeah, his, his offensive, offensive line, line was terrible. Was like a turnstile. Right. But, but I mean, I, I he, he got to a point where he was just shell shocked. He couldn't, he couldn't operate as a quarterback in the NFL. It was just too much. It was too fast. And he, and he wasn't seeing things fast enough. And I'm hoping that doesn't happen to Sam Darnold. I hope he gets it figured out, but I'm not a hundred percent on board. Like, Hey, Sam Darnold's my guy. I'm going to go out and go out and get, because I think he's going to break out this year. Cause I'm just not quite sure yet, but I see what you guys are saying. I understand why you think it's a nice investment because I because from an age standpoint and just longevity of the position, this is a guy that you know, especially in startups and stuff like that. I'm definitely for you know drafting him as a as a guy that's your third quarterback. You kind of just let him sit there and marinate. But I'm not. I'm personally me. I'm not going to actively go out and get Sam Darnold. All right. Well, those are those are six guys we just gave you that we think. Well, for the most part, most of us think. We'll take a nice step forward here in 2020. And now it's up to you to decide if you want to go out there and make a move and trade for such player to take your team to another level. Uh, that's it for this week. Um, get ready to look out for those listener questions for next week's show. Can't wait to jump into this Nerd Herd episode. We're going to talk about veterans, the trade for. So the older players, guys that have been around for a little while that we think you can get pretty good value that can help your team win this year. Uh, and we'll also be giving away that exclusive spot to the Scott Fishbowl 10, which is going to be an amazing giveaway, one of my favorite giveaways of the year. So tune in for that as well. If you're not a member of the Nerd Herd, now's the time to join people. Uh, the Film Room for 2021, the the Rankins, the, the Buy-Sell Tool. There's so much to get out of the Nerd Herd, and we have a new tool launching here in July that's going to absolutely help all your Dynasty teams, and it's something that you're going to get for free to use uh, all the way from July to August if you're a Nerd Herd member to check it out. And I promise you, a rich Dotson guarantee, you're going to love this bad boy. So now is the best time in the summer to join the Nerd Herd so you get some of that action. In the meantime, we won't. the show will be here next week, but Matt and I will be in the Outer Banks tanning mm -hmm. these calves. So I can't wait. Uh, until then, we'll talk to you. In the first show we do back, we get back. Not next week after that, we'll finally get back in studio together either as well. So I can't wait to do that and see your guys' ugly faces again. Now it looks so yes. tame and beautiful. <laughs> so, yep. Join the Nerd Herd. Check out the YouTube channel. Subscribe to that because we're going to start putting the podcast on the YouTube channel as well. Make sure to check out the Dynasty Nerds Facebook group. 8,000 members on there talking Dynasty Fantasy Football on a daily basis. It's unreal. And uh, leave us a rating and review on iTunes because we appreciate you. Until then, talk to you next week. Adios.